So, again, we are in this series. It's called Arise. I say the same thing every week because I want it to stick in our heads. Um, and for those who haven't been a part of the church for a while, the, 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 the last pastor left, is it two and a half years ago now? Uh, and, and so we've been in this, this journey as a church where um, he left, an interim group came in, they did some uh, breaking down of things in the church, some shaking up what was going on here, some uh, kind of leveling the ground a little bit, and then a year ago, or just over a year ago, I started. And so we've been in this process for the last year, kind of deconstructing the culture that we've been walking in, and, and, and readying to lay this groundwork for who we want to be as a church. And as part of that, that we, we started off looking at Paul's prayers. And, and trying to ground our identity as a praying church. We spent a long time going through the book of Acts and, and looking at the original mission of the church to be sent out into the world. And so this series is really our response um, to all of that content and saying it's now our time to arise as the church and establish this identity that we're walking in. So, so this series and the content is, is a combination of things. It's, it's the the 14-month process that the church was taken through and the vision and values that the church identified that were core to them. It's the, the information that comes from my heart and who I am and the things that God's called me to. And then it's the content and the information based on conversations I've been having with lots of people, old and new, about what God wants to do. And so we've pulled all of those things together and come up with this identity for our church that marks who we're going to be and how we're walking forward. And so we're, we're at, at, towards the end of this series, so we've been walking through the six practices that are marking our church. And so today we're moving. So let me just recap again. So there's three principles that we're walking in as a church that come from the greatest commandment and the great commissions. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. So our three principles, to be true to Christ, the way we love God, uh, love others, is to be kind to people, and then we fulfill the great commission by being sent to the world. Um, and so that's the three principles. For each of these principles, there are two practices that help us lean into that in a fuller way. And so when we're trying to be true to Christ and love the Lord, we're looking at a life devoted to prayer, which is our internal like, engagement with God, and then creativity, the outside external ex, uh, external expression of that into the world. As we look at being kind to people internally, it's hospitality as we welcome people in and we love them and we create space for them. And then the acts of justice as we go out into the world to try and help uh, be God's hands and feet to rectify injustices that we see around about us. And then uh, today we move into this last principle which has been sent to the world. Um, and, and we're gonna look this week at the posture of learning or the practice of learning and the next week what it looks like to engage in, in a theology of mission. So today we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to arise in learning? So I want to start by sticking up the, the, the description that's in the booklet and in the material that's been sent out. And we, we wrote this. Uh, so we hold this practice of learning. We are committed to being lifelong learners, walking in humility and openness as we learn together. We value holistic discipleship as we train and empower people to grow in their faith, their life skills, and their leadership. So hopefully you hear that and you're like, yes, that sounds like the kind of thing that Jesus wants from us. Um, so I want to root us in that language, and then we're going to jump into Scripture and kind of explore this uh, in a little more detail. But right before we go there, um, you probably figured this out about me if you've been around me for any length of time. I love learning, right? 
It takes, people think you have to be really clever to end up with a doctorate. You have to be idiotic enough to stick in school for such a ridiculous amount of time. That's the answer. You have to be stupid to want a doctorate, right? Um, but why do, I, I have a love for learning. I love the process. You've probably had it. Um, there are lots of people that don't love learning, and this is why we don't love it, because there's a concept, and it doesn't matter how much, how many times someone hits you in the head with that baseball bat, it is just not going in there. Um, but we all have those moments where we have the moment of revelation, right? Where a new concept kind of just kind of, we use the language like it just clicked. Or we have those moments, I mean, the famous one, Eureka! is the language they use, and, and we talk about it a lot today as aha moments. But we all know that, that moment of sort of illumination when some new concept just kind of clicks inside. And what usually happens in the moment of illumination, we can memorize facts and not take them in. But when we have the moment of illumination, it actually changes how we then function in the world. Because the knowledge that, it, that we've just learned, it's just in there bouncing around in our heads or bouncing around our heads, smacking us and annoying us. But when we get those aha moments, something internalizes in that experience and it begins to change how we use it, how we understand it, how we interact with the world around about us. Um, tied to my love of learning is one of my favorite attributes of God. And it, I guess it's two attributes that go together, maybe. Um, Scripture is really clear that God is a God of self-revelation, right? So the, the entire book of the Bible that we read is the revelation of God to us as humans. So God is this God who loves to reveal himself to us. We also know from Scripture that he is infinite. So that means there's an infinite amount of information about God that we can learn, which means from now until the rest of eternity— we can learn new things about God every day and never, ever exhaust who he is. Isn't that cool? Um, in our sin and fallenness, we have all of these obstacles that prevent us learning the reality of who God is. But when Jesus returns and we're with him in our glorified form with no sin and no brokenness, there will be no more barrier toward that revelation. And every day and every moment of our life will be one of those aha moments about who he is. And we'll have them every day for eternity. I think that's pretty darn cool, right? <laughs> so when we're looking at, uh, as a church, what does it look like to step into the practice of learning? What does it look like to cultivate a process of lifelong learning? It's really rooted in this idea that we want to be a church that spends the rest of our life figuring out more about who he is. We want to be a church that positions herself so that we have the least resistance, so that we can have the most ahas about who God is, so that that changes who we are and changes how we function in the world. Um, that gets me excited. A lifelong, eternal aha of the glory of God. Actually, in Ephesians 3.10, um, Paul, when he's writing, he, he talks about the manifold wisdom of God being revealed. Uh, and he's actually talking about revealing it to the heavenly powers. But, but the manifold wisdom of God, the word manifold is the word for like, like multifaceted, like all the, f the faces on a diamond. And so it's like the manifold wisdom of God is like you can pick up this diamond and keep turning and seeing just another little glimpse, another face of who he is. I want us to be a church that every day catches a new glimpse or a new perspective of the face of God that captivates our hearts and then sends us out into the world in a different posture. So let's jump into the points that I actually wrote down. 
<clears throat> so, <laughs> number one is this. Teachability is essential to spiritual growth. So I'm flipping this around. So learning is the posture and the verb and the practice. Teachability is the condition of our heart and our spirit as it relates to what we want to learn. So teachability is essential to spiritual growth. And um, I'm going to put up an odd scripture here or there, but at the end of the day, you can find this theme from beginning to end. If you go into Bible Gateway and you stick in the word teach, you will get hundreds upon hundreds uh, of passages. But here's one of my favorites, Psalm 25. Uh, the psalmist crying out to God, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me why, for you are my God and my Savior. Uh, that expression of teachability, the psalmists are known for being these people who were soft-hearted toward God, who had this unique ability to express their inner world to him, a unique vision of God that they were able to put into poetry and song to guide the nation of Israel forward. We hear God talk about David as a man after my own heart, and then we look at a passage like this. This is the heart of someone who's devoted to God. Show me your ways. Teach me, guide me. How open is your heart? heart this morning? How hungry are you to learn new things about God? How hungry are you to dive into the scriptures and find out more about what they say? How hungry are you to have more of your inner world exposed to you and to others so that you can walk more fully in the way that God wants us to be? If God is a God of revelation, if God is constantly showing us new things about him, if he's constantly speaking to us, uh, if the world round about us, Romans 1, you know, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen so that no man is without excuse. So if there's a constant revelation of God towards us, the only way that we can grow in intimacy and relationship with him is through this teachable spirit. So we cannot grow without it. So number one, teach, teachability is essential to spiritual growth. Number two, learning begins with the willingness to listen. Don't know if you ever sat and thought about how you learn and how learning happens. Learning begins with a willingness to listen. I don't know how much you reflect on the culture around about us. We live in a culture that isn't very good at listening, right? We're very good at speaking. We're very good at shouting and spouting. <laughs> uh, we're not always so good at listening. We may be good at listening to people like us, but are we good at, about listening in general? Learning begins with the willingness to listen. Let's look at a couple of passages here. Proverbs 1. The book of Proverbs, there's going to be lots of this in here. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom and foolishness and the right posture that you have to walk in to be considered wise and grown wisdom. So this is Solomon's opening words um, as, he, as he passes on this wisdom. He says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom 
and instruction. So the opening of Solomon is he's trying to impart wisdom to the generation to come and to the nation of Israel starts with, if you want to be wise, start listening because the wise people are the ones whose ears, both physically and spiritually, are open. The foolish are the ones whose ears are closed and whose heart is closed, both to God and to what is happening in the world around about us. So how are you doing in the process of listening? Are you a person who's cultivated listening ears and listening heart? Um, or are you the fool who's despising wisdom and instruction? Psalm 19, which we reflected on in pre-service prayer this morning, um, one of my favorites, the self-revelation of God, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge, they have no speech and they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So cre the created order and what God has made, this is Psalm 19, Kerry, it should be the next slide. Um, Psalm 19, yeah, there we go. Um, so the created order, the heavens, the skies are pouring the glory of God to us. The psalmist looks at it and goes, it's almost like they're talking. The revelation is so profound that it's like with no words, with no speech, their voice is spread into the ends of the earth. Can you hear? Have you cultivated a spirit that can listen even when no words are being spoken? We can wait for the audible voice of God to teach us something. We can open the Bible and read the revelation that he's already given. But have you learned to listen to God in the silence, in the creation roundabout, and in the eyes of the person opposite you? Have you cultivated a listening spirit? That listening, uh, that learning begins with what Jesus is talking He's sharing these messages and these parables and, and, and then he always turns to the audience and he's like, he who has ears, let him hear. And he's not discriminating against all the people in the crowd that are earless. Um, and maybe he's speaking ahead to the, the, the one that Simon's gonna chop off, maybe. But he's talking about an inward condition. Like, I'm saying these things, are you hearing them? Anyone, well, anyone in the room, if you were a child or if you have a child, you know how this goes. Hey, can you go do this? You're not listening to me. What did I say? You said, can you go do it? You heard the words, but you weren't listening, right? Listening implies that you act on it. So we say something, we cannot be hearing and they ignore it, but when they say it and we listen, then we take in what they say and we act on it. So Jesus is like, if you've got ears, then you should be listening. So if you're in the room and you have ears, Jesus wants you to learn to listen. So teachability is essential to spiritual growth. Learning begins with the willingness to listen. Then learning requires continual choices to stay teachable. So you've got to choose to listen, and then you've got to choose daily practices that enable you to keep listening. And there are some spouses in the room going, amen, I hope you're listening to this partner. <laughs> Listen, learning requires continual choices of teachability. So I want to go back to that passage that I started with in Psalm 25. Look at the continual posture of the psalmist. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for your God, my Savior. It's a continual pleading. If you were to get to the beginning of the Psalms and just read them, 
Uh, you will hit this refrain constantly, teach me, O Lord. If you pick up Psalm 119, it's an amazing psalm. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's a, a, an acrostic poem where they go through all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order, and they're the same number of lines, each one starting with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and they're just describing the beauty of the Word of God. And every third or fourth verse is, teach me your laws. Teach me your precepts. Show me your ways. Help me to walk in these things. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me that your law is perfect. I delight in your law. That's the posture of the psalmist. So if you wanted a little exercise in this, I would say go home, pick up Psalm 119, read through it, and underline every time the psalmist pleads to be taught or to learn or to understand God's ways, and you see the continual choice uh, to remain teachable. We see it in Jesus, John chapter 5. I think sometimes we, 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 over, we over-divinize Jesus. We make him too much God and not enough human. And what I mean by that is when we, we think about Jesus and what he does in the world, we're like, he teaches these things, he's compassionate to people, he does miracles because he's God. Right? It's just he just goes and does his thing, but Jesus makes it really clear that in his humanity, he's actually walking in a teachable spirit with his eyes fixed on the Father, doing and saying what the Father is telling him. Look at John 5. Jesus gave this answer to them. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does, yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So Jesus is saying, as I'm walking in the world, my eyes are fixed on the Father and I'm doing the things that he's shown me. He's showing me his compassion for this person and I'm healing. He's shown me divine truth and I'm teaching it. Jesus was in this posture where he was open and teachable by his Father. And again, we've seen this in kids. When a little kid starts imitating everything their parents do, they want to it's annoying. They want to cook with you, right? It's really annoying. They want to bake with you. Mommy, can I help? And it's like, this is not awful. Uh, stuff is everywhere. But they want to imitate. They want to copy because they're, what are kids? They're just little sponge learning machines, right? Soaking up every experience um, that they possibly can. Learning vocabulary, learning words, learning actions, learning some bad words and learning some bad actions as they copy us. Or if Josh is over teaching them to do things that they shouldn't be doing. <coughs> uh, <laughs> No, he doesn't. He's a great example to our kiddos. Um, but yeah, so, so Jesus was in this posture. He was teachable. He was watching the Father. We have to be like him in choosing to remain teachable every moment of every day. So I, I want to look at three things here that are, are part of what we do to choose to remain teachable. So the first is the choice to walk in humility. Have you ever thought about the relationship between humility and learning? Have you ever come across someone obstinate that feels like they have all the answers to everything in the world and it doesn't matter what you say? They just fire back at you something else. The pride and the arrogance, the lack of listening, stands in opposition to the spirit of learning. So the choice to walk in humility. Look at Proverbs 18. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. I think that should be the, the like, did someone applaud that? <laughs> I think that should be like, if, if social media had like a living room wall, I think that should be 
like the, the artwork on the wall, right? Social media is this. It's a bunch of fools airing their own opinions, finding no pleasure and understanding. Okay, maybe I'm being a little mean. God redeems things like that too. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we know it. We know when we're in that posture of pride. We know those situations. You know, we can talk about humility and pride. We can talk about being teachable or not being teachable. And what happens with any spiritual concept is we kind of, we make it like a dualistic thing and there's only two categories. I'm either teachable or I'm not teachable. And everyone in the room is saying, I'm so teachable, right? Just admit it. Who's in here, who, well, let's, who in here is going, I'm such an unteachable person, right? Obviously, we, we, like, to, we like to put ourselves in the best situation, right? Um, so we want to be people who are teachable. We want to be people that are humble. Uh, it, it's not an easy place to be. It's not an easy thing to cultivate. We have to make this choice to walk in humility. So you can be teachable or not teachable. Within the teachable category, it kind of looks like this. I really like their teaching. So when I think about listening to that preacher, and I think about reading that book, and I think about being with that person, I am totally open to what they have to say. But when that person there opens their mouth, they don't know what they're talking about, right? They believe lies. They have a different political opinion. They come from Scotland. <laughs> and so we like to say we're teachable or not teachable, but the question is, in every moment of every day, are you teachable or not? Truly teachable people will learn from whoever's standing in front of them. Truly teachable people will, listen, will learn from any perspective, even if it's the opposite to their own. Truly teachable people are not scared to dive into content that stands in opposition to what they believe because the, the, the searching and inquiry process into someone else's beliefs only helps solidify our own. It helps challenge our doubts and sometimes actually corrects the wrong thinking that we have so we can stand in a better place. But all of that requires humility. The humility to say I might be wrong. The humility to say there are limits to my knowledge and limitations to my knowledge and I need to seek someone else out uh, who can help give me what I need. It's the humility to say I hate this person, I don't like anything that comes out of their mouth, but they still have something to teach me. Uh, in a couple of places Paul writes, consider others better than yourself. Teachability is saying in this moment, despite what I think about this person, I'm going to consider them better than me in this moment. I'm going to find what I can learn from them because there is some truth. And it's not all negative truth, right? I can learn from them how not to be a parent. I can learn from them how not to walk with Jesus. No, there are positive things that you can learn from every person and every situation that you're in. So if we want to be people that, that are continually choosing to be teachable, we have to choose daily, to, daily and moment by moment to walk in humility. Secondly, you have to have the choice that's related to this, the choice to be open. You have to daily choose to open yourself up to things out there. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So in this situation, you've got one person who is open to the feedback of someone else, and you've got one person that has closed themselves to, to the, the reproof that they're getting. We have to choose to be open. We have to choose to be open to new ideas. We have to choose to be open to new experiences. We have to choose to be open to a perspective that's not the one that we walk in. 
We have to choose to be open to correction from someone. And the most teachable people are the people who invite correction. They don't just wait for someone to bring it. Um, and at the core of all of this, you have to be open to discomfort. Don't know if you've thought about this part. There is no learning without discomfort. Uncomfortable situations are what forces. I don't know what to do here. I have no idea how to lay a hardwood floor. So what do I do? I'm on YouTube. I'm calling friends. I'm looking at blogs. I'm, I'm on Home Depot watching videos. The discomfort of lack of knowledge forces me to grow. Uh, discomfort causes us to grow. That's why so many painful things are often the catalysts for the deepest transformation. You go through painful experiences. God feels distant. Relationship is hard. There's tension. It's when you step into the tension and the confrontation and are open to God doing something different in it that transformation is able, able to happen. I say try new things or, or, or explore differing perspectives. That's uncomfortable. I hate doing things that I'm not good at because I want everyone to think I'm amazing at everything. And if I do the things that I'm not good at, people will see all the things I'm not good at. So I'll just stick with the things I'm good at, right? And in that process of comfort, I don't step into the uncomfortable places, which is where learning and growth is going to take place. And where we see this the most and where we're worst at it in the church, confrontation. One of the biggest instruments that God wants to use in your life to teach you and make you more like Jesus is conflict and difficulty with other people that you're in relationship with, especially within the body of Christ. We're supposed to be correcting one another, rebuking one another in love, helping one another see their sin and supporting them in the process of overcoming it. We're supposed to forgive one another. We're supposed to speak the truth in love to one another. And what happens is we see someone in the room do something we don't like and we bottle it up and we say it doesn't really matter until the next time we do it and then we add another little chip into that bottle. The next thing we know, we're living in 10 years of bitterness and resentment that has hardened our heart and it stopped us from growing and it stopped them from being able to grow and heal in the way that they needed to grow and heal. So quite often God puts us in situations that strip us of, of what works. It shows us our lack of knowledge. It puts us in situations that we can't do. Uh, he puts us in conflict situations where we have to step out into an uncomfortable place to apologize or, or to challenge and confront. And in those places, God is able to crack open parts of our heart if we're open. If we're not open, it looks like this. I hate what you do. That was really rude and you shouldn't have done that. You're a terrible person. You really hurt me. That's closed. Openness is, that really hurt me. Did I do something wrong to cause that? Is there something I should be doing differently to stop that from happening? Is there something I can do? Can we learn about this together and overcome this obstacle together? Do I do that same thing that you do? That's the open spirit. Begins to ask questions and inquire and seek transformation. So if we want to be people that are continually choosing teachability, you have to walk in humility, you have to choose to be open, and then you have to choose to seek the truth. Again, in Proverbs, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. It's a deliberate choice to go in search of truth. It's the inquisitive spirit. Sadly, we like use this proverb, like curiosity killed the cat, and it's used really negatively, and it shuts down our curiosity. 
But curiosity lies at the heart of innovation. Curiosity lies at the heart of creativity. How do I do that? How does it work? Help me to understand. Curiosity lies at the heart of learning and teachability. Um, so you have to choose to seek it. You have to become inquisitive. And where do we seek it? We seek it in the decision, God, we know that you're the source of truth, so I'm going to seek it for you. And it's a, a, a request, right? And James, did I, I don't know if I put this in here. I might be getting myself. myself. No, I didn't. And James, you don't have wisdom because you didn't ask for it. So ask God, and he's going to pour out wisdom. So we seek wisdom from him. John, when he's explaining who the Holy Spirit is, he's like, Jesus says, when, when, when I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit, and he's going to remind you of all the things I said, and he's going to teach you about who Jesus is. So to seek him out, we have to seek God first. We have to seek his Spirit, who's the source of wisdom. First Corinthians tells us, don't seek the wisdom of the world, but seek the heavenly wisdom that God wants to impart to us. Um, we have to seek it in one another. We have to go to the people that have the knowledge and say, I'm going to take a class from this person because I want the knowledge that they have. I look at the depth that this person has in their relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to take them out to coffee and I'm just going to ask them questions about how they got to love Jesus like that so that I can start to learn how to be like that. We have to seek it out. Um, we have to seek it from God, we have to seek it from the Spirit, we have to seek it from one another, and of course, the most important one, we have to seek it from the Word. Like, if you wanna be someone that is learning and growing and teachable, you have to cultivate daily habits of reading Scripture. And, and just to let you off the hook a little bit, you know, that doesn't mean you have to spend an hour every morning with commentaries open, pouring over Greek and Hebrew. That may mean that you pick up the Bible and you read one verse and you write it on a post-it note and you carry with it all day and you just think about it periodically during the day. It's about coming to the source of truth in order to learn. Final point, number four, learning requires a commitment to change. You've heard me say this many times before. The man who mentored me as we read through the Bible, he would say to me, when what you read in Scripture and how you live your life, don't line up, begin the process of change. And so teachability is the willingness to enter into the change process. To be able to learn, we have to enter the process willing to change. So when you go, I'm going to go meet with this person, I don't agree with them, but I'm going to meet with them to convince them they're wrong, your unwillingness for you to change meant that you were not in a teachable place when you went into the conversation. We do this in family and in relationships and with our kids. You must change. I'm 40 years older than you. I have life experience. I know how this works. You're wrong. You must change, right? Rather than coming in with the heart that says, maybe there's some things I need to change to be a better parent. Maybe my perspective on this issue is wrong. Um, but we've got to have this commitment to walking in change. Are you someone that, that is committed to this? How does James put it? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The goal of our learning is intimacy with God. The goal of our learning is transformation and living it out in the world. It's not so that we can have big heads. 
I've read the Bible more than you. I've done more Bible studies than you. I've listened to more of these preachers than you. I've gone to more conferences than you. And um, that's not why we do it. We do it to lead us to a place of intimacy. Um, and so are we going to be merely hearers of the word or are we going to do what it says? Are we going to be a church that is committed to teachability? Are we committed to learning? We're going to learn to listen. We're going to make choices daily to walk in humility, to be open to alternate ideas, to seek the truth in whatever way we can, and to posture ourselves and to work with one another to bring change. So what now? <laughs> you say all that stuff. It's like, okay, what do I do? Um, here's a few things to think about. Number one, there's some people in the room, what you may need to do is repent. Like I've been, I've been closed my mind has been shut off. I'm closed-minded. I'm narrow in my thinking. I'm opinionated. I'm not receiving correction. I'm spouting my opinion more than I'm listening to other people. If that's you, there's some repenting that needs to do. I'm walking in my own way rather than the way of Jesus. And so it's a simple prayer. God, help me. I can't do this. I'm proud and I'm arrogant and I'm full of myself. God, would you open my heart and make me more teachable? For some people in the room, it's just try something new, something that you've never thought about. I mean, maybe it's jumping into some kind of technology. It's a game, it's a hobby, it's a sport, it's an activity. Try something new and see if, there, if uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Do something you're not good at. There are things that you know you're not very good at. Step into one of them. I'm terrible at singing, so I'm gonna practice singing. Uh, there's gonna be some learning happens in that place of discomfort. Um, listen to someone who has a different perspective. You know who these people are. They're the ones that you've blocked or silenced on Facebook. So, uh, so you might want to go into your blocked list and, and message someone and say, hey, you have a really different perspective to me. Can we go for coffee? And I just, I just want to listen. I just want to hear what you believe, why you believe it, how you came to those conclusions. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to respond to you. I just want to listen and hear. Sometimes this means picking up a book from a different religion. It means picking up a, a theologian that's not in your camp and reading it not to say, oh, look at this person, their ideas are terrible. I'm really good at that, by the way. Um, my books are filled with little notes. This is awful. This is bad exegesis. This is not godly. Um, but it's to, listen, to, to open it and say, where in this is God? Where's truth? What can I learn? How can my perspective change? Ask questions. This is the core to teachability. Just ask questions of the scriptures, of God, of the people around you, of the situations you're in. Some of you need to go back to school. Maybe God's saying, hey, go learn something else. Take a couple of Bible classes. Uh, go take a Spanish class. Learn something new. And lastly, the core of learning and one of the best ways to solidify your learning is find avenues to teach what you know. There are lots of people in the Western church that feel like they don't know enough because they're not doing the teaching that they're supposed to do. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to be everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So a few practical things that you could take away and do. I want to finish with one more scripture as it relates to this Jesus, very famous passage. As we look at posture of learning, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, Anyone weary or burdened today? Right. Come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. This is not an invitation into a hard journey of intellectual rigor. It's an invitation to fix your eyes on Jesus and allow him to teach you his light yoke and his easy burden. So let me pray, and, and then we'll worship. God, we want to be a teachable church. I know this is a church that has loved your word. They've studied it. Um, they've done classes. Uh, I think about people like Trudy going over to Calvary Chapel to, to learn more. I think about the, the numerous people that turned up at the Love Inc. workshop to learn more. God, we have a hunger uh, to learn, but God, we need to be more teachable. There are more things that you want to show us. There are more avenues through which it can come. And so, God, would you help us to be like the psalmist? Show me your ways. Teach me your ways, for you're a God and Savior. Would you help us to be people who hear your word and then do it, uh, that, that posture ourselves to bring change? So, so, Lord, teach us and change us and do it in Jesus' name. Amen.